businesses make a profit to exist, surely there must be some bigger, nobler purpose of business. And so that is the challenge to business today is find what is your bigger, nobler purpose. Uh, and then people will want to work for you. Uh, people will find meaning in doing whatever it is in your business if you can with integrity, tie it to some bigger purpose that is what your company is about that is bigger than just growing our bottom line. Welcome to Conscious Curiosity SD, the podcast that provides the backstory of local successful San Diego leaders who bring hope, inspiration, and purpose to the work they do and the people they lead. Conscious Curiosity is sponsored by Conscious Capitalism San Diego and the Better Business Bureau of San Diego. And I'm your host, Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership. We'll hear from leaders who prove businesses can positively change the communities they work and live in by seeking a higher purpose beyond profit. We'll explore why they have come to lead in this way, the rewards and challenges of being a conscious leader, and their vision for the future of their businesses and the community of San Diego. Today we have a little different show for you on Conscious Curiosity SD. We have two gentlemen here in the BBV studio from the company called Interface. Interface is a publicly traded company that is the leader in manufacturing of modular flooring. So think carpeting in your office. That's what these guys do. Over 25 years ago, Ray Anderson, the founder and CEO of Interface, initiated a complete transformation process embracing what we would call today a higher purpose for the organization that would completely change who Interface was going to be in the marketplace. On the 25th of uh, this year, Conscious Capitalism, Better Business Bureau, and the San Diego Business Journal are collaborating with other businesses and business leaders to have the premiere showing in San Diego with a documentary called Beyond Zero, which tells the compelling and passionate story of Interface. Today, we get the inside story behind the amazing journey Interface has embarked on. We have Matt Probst, who's our local San Diego representative for the company. And all the way from San Francisco, we have Mr. Mikhail Davis, who is the Director of Sustainability. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. Thank you. Well, I'm hoping everyone is sitting on the edge of their seat wondering, what exactly has this interface company done that uh, I'm interested in? So we're going to delve into that and learn all about interface and these two gentlemen and what the journey looks like. So, Mikhail, I'm going to start with you. Can you give us a uh, kind of the short story of interface and what's this unique thing that you guys have embarked on? I love working at interface because it's both a really exciting company and totally mundane. We sell flooring. It's a product, especially when you're talking about commercial flooring stuff that's in offices and schools, people don't think about it. They don't want to think about it. So, you know, the, the, as revolutionary as we were at our founding in 1973 was we were going to sell carpet in squares and you know, eventually rectangles instead of in rolls. But when they brought in the cube farm in the 70s and you couldn't run wires through the walls to all the desks, you had to run them under the floor. They needed flooring that you could pull up in sections and access under. So it became a huge money winner, you know, along with the cube farm. Again, not so sexy. Uh, but you referenced 25 years ago. So that was 1994. The company had gone public, had become wildly successful according to all the normal metrics we'd gone global. We were now selling carpet tile all over the world. We'd bought a bunch of associated industries or a bunch of associated companies, done the sort of normal, you know, go public, acquire other companies thing. Capitalism at its best, right? And so uh, 1994, Ray Anderson, the founder, who's, you know, the son of a 
assistant postmaster in southwestern Georgia who had become the largest employer in his hometown. It's a real sort of self-made man, you know, American entrepreneur story. He sort of cued by a couple customers in Southern California who started asking, well, we're building a green building. You know, what's your company doing for the environment? We're not putting your flooring in unless you can give us a good answer. So that got Ray's attention because he hated to lose a sale. Uh, and he looked into this whole environment thing, which he really knew nothing about. The other thing that you come to find out about Ray is he hated when he didn't know something. Um, he didn't like it when he didn't have an answer for the customer, but he also was an avid learner. But he actually was really resistant to this. He didn't want to learn about it. He only because he said, well, we'll have an internal task force. They'll figure out sustainability for us. The task force came back and asked him to kick off the task force meeting, telling him about his environmental vision. As he likes to say, I did not have an environmental vision. <laughs> of course, the thing that got my attention, so that kicks off. He reads a couple books, most notably The Ecology of Commerce um, by Paul Hawken, and realizes that he's done everything wrong in his life. It is this sort of like, he called it his spear in the chest moment. And the, 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 the film does a wonderful job of telling the story, so I won't go into it too much. But really goes from feeling like he's on top of the world, you know, to I've ruined the world for my grandchildren. The way I made my money, he you know, famously quoted, ends up on the cover of Fortune magazine saying, I believe that one day people like me will go to jail, uh, CEOs that made their money the way he made his money. Um, so, and I, I met him three years after that insight. And he, at that point, that was a, a peak moment for him in terms of his, he was just started, really gotten traction within the company on sustainability. I uh, was starting to become requested as a speaker at all these different conferences. So 1997, uh, the first three years is really just him trying to convince people internally that he's not crazy. Now he's the CEO and founder, so he has a bit of cachet, but it is a struggle. And there's some wonderfully, you know, quotes that are in the movie and some others that weren't in the movie. You know, I, one of my favorites is uh, one of his close confidants says to him at a certain point early in the stream, he's like, okay, Ray, you know, I'm with you on the sustainability stuff, but uh, people are starting to say you've gone around the bend, they're a little worried about you. And Ray turns to Jim and says, well, you know, Jim, I believe it's my job as CEO to look around the bend, see what's coming up next. Uh, so he just, he, he was completely unflappable, never wavered. He'd had this sort of change of heart and he knew it would take other people time to get on board and he just kind of kept after it. Um, and so there's, there's a great, how he did that is, you know, very interesting. And the movie really goes into that. Uh, the leadership required to make that kind of shift. Yeah. 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 And Not he easy. was already a great leader and it goes to my connection to him. I saw him give a talk at a conference, which blew my mind. Uh, it was in, in Monterey, California. Because I first and foremost, I had never, I never, don't think I'd ever heard a talk by a CEO of a major company, uh, and I definitely never heard an environmental talk in a South Georgia accent. <laughs> I was talking about the environment, you know, and other things I'd never heard of before. And I had, you know, a degree in environmental science, you know, where I was about a month from it at that point. And uh, but it was so encouraging that if if people like that who are seemed to me like the you know as a sort of long-haired Northern California environmental science major. If people like Ray, the sort of Southern industrialist, could get it, maybe there was hope. And if he, people like that were on our side and seemed to really understand it, because the thing I loved what Ray did is he laid out the environmental problem in a scale and a depth that he could not solve. Because usually the business guy tells you about the problem that he's got the solution to because he's trying to sell you something. 
But Ray didn't have the solution. He was just laying out in sort of bold, self-incriminating detail. This is the size of the problem. This which is wrong, was and exactly, how do we make yeah. it right? Kind of, kind of John Kennedy, you know, we're going to the moon. Don't ask me how we're getting there, <laughs> yeah. but we're going to the moon, right? That was actually very, the, the moon shot was actually very much an inspiration to him because he was a, an engineer by training, and so he thought about it as this grand engineering challenge, probably first and foremost. Um, but how do you motivate people for a challenge that seems unsolvable was the moon was a great metaphor. <laughs> so what was the big goal he laid out then back in the, the early 90s before anyone else was really talking about things like global warming? I mean, that's what the audience needs to remember. This is 25 plus years ago. No one was having this conversation. I mean, this is what I love about history is you have to remember the context of these things. You're like, oh, of course, sustainability for companies. That was not a thing in the mid 90s. Uh, so one of the things that he did uh, in 1997, issued what we think is the first corporate sustainability report ever, certainly in North America. And nowadays, every company over a certain size has a corporate sustainability report or an ESG report or all these other acronyms that are about, you know, non-financial metrics that you're reporting on. This was crazy town in 1997. It's like, okay, so your lawyers are letting you report on all the pollution that you emitted? Like, why would you do that? It was not a thing yet. And so he really put, you know, a stake in the sand and said, we're going to be, we're going to lay out a vision, but we're also going to lay out in gruesome detail what our impact is today because our vision is to be a zero impact company. Eventually we called that mission zero, uh, was to eliminate any negative impact we have on the environment. And where were you guys when you kind of started this whole thing? If, if the goal was zero, I mean, maybe how do you measure that? But how, how big of a stretch was that? Ray described huh. our, our business as being, almost a subsidiary of the petrochemical industry. <laughs> okay, so we have a long ways to go. Yeah. A long, long ways to go. The product we see here can't be the product we're going to see. You know, I sometimes describe a carpet tile as a demon layer cake of plastics. It's like three or four different kinds of different plastics all sort of put together with a bunch of chemicals. So we, we were in a big hole once we kind of realized what sustainability was and how far it was from what we were doing. Right, right. So really, over, so the story now is what's happened over all these years. How did what was what did it look like to make this thing happen? And you guys did arrive, right? You you got to that uh, that goal of with zero percent. Is that is that a true statement? Or yeah, close yes to and it? no. I'm in the technical guy, so I will tell you that it's not a hundred percent. So what we did, we we in night in 2016, we really started looking at as we started taking stock. We're like, oh, 2020. Of course, a lot of people set 2020 goals for whatever. 2020 seemed like space age, you know, out there somewhere. And then suddenly we wake up and it's five years to 2020. We have a bunch of metrics, not all of them were where they need to be. We made a huge amount of progress on that. But then we really decided in 2016, we actually need to look at what's next. Because just having one zero footprint factory or, or set of factories, in our case, zero footprint company, is not going to change the world to the degree that it needs. So we actually launched a new mission in advance of 2020 that uh, our new mission we call Climate Take Back. It's to reverse global warming. Because we looked at what do we impact, but also what does the world need? It's all about climate. I mean, we, you know, if you look at the impacts of a manufacturing business like us, most of them are climate related. A lot of energy gets used, a lot of petrochemicals, a lot of things that drive climate change in the wrong direction. Right. Uh, so we kind of started to reconfigure even in advance of that. In 2019, we just said, here's the metrics. You know, we've driven a lot of them pretty close to zero or 100%. We were, for instance, trying to get to 100% renewable electricity. We did that. Uh, that became easier as time went on. We even got most of our thermal energy, so gas to run ovens, 
to renewable. We got up 90 plus percent. We eliminated you know, over 90 percent of our water use. So just checking the boxes over one after another. So we another. didn't get to 100 percent on a lot of them. We figured that the world was better served by us getting to 92 or 97 um, and then moving on to how do we reverse all this? How do we start to have positive impacts? And also really explicitly do one of the things that we really discovered along the journey is that our biggest impact is the influence we have in other companies. So that was exciting. And we actually did a quantification just to be able to justify that we got to zero, even though not all our metrics were you know, exactly at zero. Uh, the impact, just if you quantified the impact we had on getting Walmart started in sustainability, let alone a bunch of other companies, we we're well beyond. Like the reduction in Walmart's impact greatly exceeded our remaining, you know, seven to 10 percent that we hadn't hit on our own facilities um, so that was kind of how we thought about it, but it really was time for us to move on, declare victory, and look for the next That's mountain nice, to climb. Right. So Mikhail obviously went to school to get educated on this. <laughs> Comes out in the working world and finds the perfect bride to get married to, right? Ray Anderson shows up and says, hey, I'm doing this, and so what a perfect job. But, Matt, you're a sales guy, right? So I'm, I'm kind of curious from your perspective, you know, a little bit of your background, and I'll say that the first time I spoke to Matt, you were on fire, right? I mean, you were so excited about, you know, the company and what you do. And, you know, this day and age where everybody's, uh, all the senior leaders are sitting around talking about employee engagement and these kinds of things. I mean, you're in a great example of a guy that's out here on the front lines, super excited about the company you're working for. So maybe share a little bit of your, little, your background and how did you come to work at uh, uh, Interface and what's it like to be selling a product like this in the marketplace? What's the advantages? What are the challenges? Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I refer to uh, Interface as the, the largest um, publicly traded mom and pop company in the world. And, and I mean that in, in, in the highest compliment. Uh, a lot of the, the remaining founders of Interface that started that journey back in 1973 are still with us. And, and I've been in this industry since 1999 and uh, worked for some large competitors of Interface. And uh, my journey with Interface started about nine years ago, and I've never—I was just so inspired. I've known—I've known Ray uh, prior to, to coming to Interface, but se seen him um, uh, present and, and at company functions for years. And I just—he was such a different, influential leader. Uh, the way he was going to transform the company wasn't through the the, the standard uh, uh, margin uh, cost cutting protocols. It was, it was doing something different and it really resonated with me and, and, uh, impacted just so inspirational. So when I had an opportunity about nine years ago to come to the company, uh, you know, I leapt in and, um, I'm, I'm still here. Um, love the journey. It's, 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 it's so different from where I've worked prior. Um, and what, um, just, just, working for a company that has a mission that's uh, bigger than you are and having a, you know, it's a, it, from a employee retention standpoint is, is, is great. I've, I've been in sales for 23 years. I've had great years. I've made some, some good, good money. And, and it came to a point in my career where, where I wanted more. Uh, it wasn't about the money. Uh, it, it wasn't about the market share. It wasn't about all the wins. It was about living something greater than, than me. And, and it wasn't until I came here that, that, that really connected with me. And, uh, um, you know, and then I had a family, um, I have two, two, two kids now and 
living for, you know, working for a company that's really doing everything they can to make the world a better place, not only for us, but, you know, my family, my kids, my kids' generations, really has deep meaning and purpose for me. So that's why I'm here. Um, I, you know, I, I sell carpet, <laughs> I sell commercial flooring, but there's a lot more to it than just that. Right. Um, right. Maybe share a little something, because you kind of you touched on something there that, you know, this whole idea is about the sustainability. I mean, that was the big mantra. That's the higher purpose. We're going to, we're going to go say, help save the planet, right? Rather than to destroy the planet. But you just commented on, you know, there's more going on there in regards to the culture and the touch and the feel of the company. Is there like some example of that or what that you can kind of share that there's a bigger picture that, oh, we just have this lofty goal we're doing, including selling carpeting, right? What, what else is in this that really brings it all together? Great question. Um, for, being on my side of the business, I see I, I see the effect, and so I am very close to the front lines. I see that we make a product, we sell a product, we install the product. 10, 15, 20 years later, that product ends up in a landfill. I I see it every day. It's it's a problem. Um, this is the first company that actually built and resolved that issue in taking back, and so I, I liken it to. We made, most people listening to this will know what, a, 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 what commercial carpet is. We invented the carpet tile. So it's a, it's a, it's a square tile. Those were uh, very prevalent in the commercial workspace. Um, there was no take back option for many, many years, meaning that once it, once it lived its life cycle and was ready to be replaced, it just got dumped in a landfill. And it stayed there. It's plastics. It, it wasn't breaking down. It was a real problem. Uh, Ray and this company found a way to basically turn that tile into an aluminum can. And so we were able to take that back, uh, create a closed loop circle, old carpet tile then was being used into new carpet tile. And that to me really, really opened up what this company really stands for. Um, it gave me hope. It, I saw things differently through different optics. I was able to present uh, uh, that, that option to, to major specifiers and influencers in San Diego in the commercial construction industry, and they were as, uh, as flabbergasted as I was. And, and so these are just the little building blocks of what they, what they do. I mean, every, every couple of years, it's something it's something new. And it's like, Oh my gosh, how are we going to do that? And, and, uh, we don't have the answers, but we'll figure it out. And that's just the, you know, that's the journey of this company. Um, so I think, so that's really interesting. You say that because that's the whole idea of having a higher purpose and inviting people in because now you've now, now everyone gets involved in the creativity to solve these problems. Right. And with no one losing on this deal, because that just drives value to the business. And that's the whole concept is engaging everyone, getting everyone's brain engaged, get everyone's passion engaged in doing something that's really important. So, so Mikhail, I, I gotta, I gotta ask you about this. I, I read something here in your LinkedIn profile <laughs> and it says, here's what you do. Reframing complex sustainability issues as compelling opportunities for future growth. Love that. Give us a story. So like, Working in the interface, when, give us kind of a, a short story, not a long story, but a short story of a time where this has shown up. Now we got the sustainability problem. It's difficult and kind of similar to what Matt was sharing. 
But how do we turn that into an opportunity? Because again, business people are going, man, where's the ROI in this thing? Should I be going down this path? Not everybody's Ray Anderson, right? A lot of guys want to have all the proof before they pull the, the, you know, the trigger on something. So share a story. There are, are so many stories. I just got to kind of kind of pick one here. I think I think I'll build off of what Matt was just talking about, which is, you know, but I got the, the first thing I'll underline is that Matt and even myself, we are the business case for sustainability. Because as as one of my my former colleagues said, I don't know the business case for sustainability. Who wants to work at a carpet company? We do. And that is the business case for sustainability. We are excited to come to work to sell flooring and to like make flooring every day. You know, that was Ray Anderson's first challenge. He was he he gave talks in every single factory around the world and he basically ch- laid it out for the people who were making the product every day. He said, you know, I'm gonna give you a choice today because we are going on a new journey. You can come to work to make carpet, or you can come to work to make history. That's what my offer is to you. And so that is that is fundamentally the business case. But I think just to give you, people get to do exciting stuff at Interface because of that. I mean, if you look at just trying to, just what it took to make a viable system to take back a carpet tile and turn it back into new materials to make carpet tile, crazy engineering challenges. We have all kinds of engineers and chemists who went to really good schools who were like, I never thought I'd work in flooring this long, but they keep giving me really cool stuff to work on. It's, it's cutting edge, right? Um, yeah. But then, then even stuff, we, the other thing I love, especially in my role, because I represent Interface externally on sustainability a lot, is true to that first sustainability report where we laid out the bad news, I'm allowed to be pretty honest about what we do and don't have figured out. Most people have to check in with legal before they're allowed to say anything. Um, but one of the things, recycling our own product turned out to be way more difficult than we thought, um, technically, but also just the economics and logistics, especially getting stuff you know, back to our recycling plant in Georgia from the West Coast, that costs money. Um, we're competing with really low prices of oil and gas and other, you know, wonderful macroeconomic trends because we're competing with the, the stuff that gets made from oil and gas is the virgin plastics, of course, has a much higher impact on the environment. Um, but if we've got to pay for the freight all the way back from California. So we actually figured out, okay, we got to come up with a totally new way to do this. And the new way to do this was to have legislation uh, in California. So California, uh, starting in 2010, but really the legislation that gave it teeth was 2017. We went in and lobbied, lobbied against the whole carpet industry <laughs> to pass essentially what is a tax on carpet in California. So it's a fee. Every time you buy carpet in California now, there's about, a, I think it's about 30 cents a square yard fee. And that goes into paying for end of life solutions for carpet. Okay. And especially during the pandemic, it's been really rough. All the local recyclers pretty much around the country for carpet have gone out of business. It was a low margin business to begin with. Everything kind of slowed down, um, except in California, because they all get a per pound subsidy for anybody that, that recovers. And then also if you recycle, you can get a subsidy from the state out of this fund that's from this legislation. Um, so usually, you have a situation when, when someone's trying to regulate you, the government's trying to regulate you, you get your lobbyists to go, you know, make sure they don't regulate you. In this case, we were very, we want to be regulated in a very specific way because that's going to make this business model that we've promised to, you know, this, this closed loop system for carpet actually viable. And now we have people investing in this in California. We have really interesting challenges to solve. Now we're getting back more material. Uh, we got to figure out how to use more material, uh, but the excitement keeps going on, and we keep we keep 
you know, being more than a carpet company and it keeps attracting talent that wouldn't want to work at a carpet company. Uh, we're just about to have our first uh, female CEO who comes from totally not from the flooring industry, comes from uh, consumer products, uh, talent. She was not looking for a job. We never would have attracted this person had we not had the mission that we have. So all the way to the very top of the company, we're attracting totally different you know, talent than you'd expect a company like ours to be able to attract. So leaders listen to this podcast need to listen to this, right? This is what people are looking Absolutely. for, right? You're saying, I'm having a hard time hiring people in this environment. No one's interested. Your description, we were able to hire a CEO that probably wasn't ever going to be interested. Then this wasn't even looking for a job. It's like, wait a minute. This is something I want to get involved in. And most businesses aren't out saving lives or whatever. I mean, people are making trash cans and people do making all kinds of products that aren't all that exciting but you can have a bigger, crazier story. So Matt, I got a question. So we always hear the trade-off of you know sustainability and cost, and we can make it out of oil and make it cheaper and all these kinds of good things. So as a guy in the front line out selling product, I don't know if your product costs more, so I'm just going to assume at some level there's an added expense to get to be part of the story. Uh, if that's true, what does that look like for you? And how does that play out in the marketplace? Great question. Um, <clears throat> initially, I think when the technologies were new um, and, and you know, the scale of efficiency wasn't there, we weren't doing these systems seven days a week, uh, you know, that those, those, those true efficiencies weren't there. Yeah, there was true cost impact to that. And, uh, you know, you would, you would explain to future specifiers, purchasers, here's why this product costs X, and it's up to you to, you know, decide whether or not that's, that's in your budget or if that's a direction you want to go. And, uh, you know, you'd have to explain full, full disclosure. And, and uh, amazingly, um, a high majority of people would, would agree to pay a premium. And so as we learned and got better and bigger and more efficient as a company, those costs to do something different, more sustainable, better for the environment, we're gone. And so now so you're, you're on a competitive cost neutral. So, wow. Wow. you know, sustainability, if you're doing it right and, and it's really in your blood bloodstream and you breathe it every day, shouldn't cost more, you know, do the right thing for the environment really shouldn't cost more. And so that was the tact that interface took and uh, through technology and learning we're, we're there now. So I can offer, carbon negative, carbon neutral tiles, carbon negative tiles for the same cost as my competitors offer, you know, <laughs> just the standard run of the mill. Um, I can do things that are at no cost to take back material uh, in, in, in a complete job, uh, uh, in a complete job uh, that my competitors can't offer. So uh, that's always the, the adage that that interface said, event, you know, to do right for the environment, to be sustainable shouldn't really necessarily cost more. Now there's a brand um, associated with that. So a premium brand. So you do things better than everybody else. You have better looking products. Yeah. You have, you an, can, oppor you you have an opportunity. Yeah, you have an opportunity. <laughs> this so, is capitalism, yeah. right? So right. Are, are here to make money. You got Absolutely. shareholders. You got a. I think this is a super important point because this is why I got into business. So I actually came, I didn't immediately, you know, I met Ray Anderson. I didn't immediately go to work. You know, there was no, in 1997, there weren't a lot of jobs in green business, um, but it was this really exciting new frontier. I went into the sort of environmental NGO advocacy, ended up working for 
a guy who actually was a, an advisor to Interface. Um, so I got to inter- interact with Interface as his personal assistant. Uh, David Brower is kind of one of the grand old men, founders of the American environmental movement, kept dams out of the Grand Canyon, all these other wonderful historical things. Uh, but what I started to notice working in the sort of not-for-profit charitable NGO world is that we did cool things and not all of them were tiny. They didn't scale. And so we weren't going to have the influence that we wanted to have. Uh, the thing that's exciting in business is in order to be economical, you have to do stuff that scales. And that's when, we, when we, it gets down to what price can Matt offer to win a job. Did we succeed in scaling the sustainable solution? Can we offer sustainability at the price point that people expect? Um, that's the whole work of sustainable business. How do we bring the, the correct economic traditional business choice into alignment with the more sustainable choice? And there are some times where we'll, we'll have a gap at first. We have some of the new materials we're using to make products carbon negative are still way more expensive, even with all the great supply chain we've done to make them less expensive. There's, there's some ingredients, for instance, that they aren't new, but they were used in cosmetics, and so they're priced by the ounce, and we need you know, hundreds of tons of them. So we had to develop a new supply chain to develop a similar ingredient um, that was not priced for cosmetics. Uh, so that's the work of sustainable business under the hood, because uh, the thing I love about working for Interface that's so distinct from every company, you know, especially in consumer goods, has some green angle they're pushing now. And so for us, we're like, we can come at you with like, oh, well, you, you've got yarn that has fishing nets that helped alleviate poverty in the, fishing, in the Philippines, and it's made with renewable energy and crazy amounts of recycled content, and it's bio-preferred and all these things. And I was like, oh, they're like, oh, I want that product. They're like, yeah, that's all of them. You don't have to pick. Pick the color and texture you want because we scaled it. It's standard. You accidentally bought it last week. Mm. Um, you don't have to ask for the yarn with the fishing nets in it. It's 75% of what we make. And so that is the future we're really trying to make and what I'm most excited about. Right now, our cheapest products have 100% recycled nylon, 100% renewable energy, uh, You know, the yarn made from fishing nets. It's all just, we figured out, and it takes some figuring out and a lot of partnering with our suppliers uh, to make the crazy, amazing, sustainable green story, the standard product, as opposed to some green niche thing that we only sell in California or whatever. So th- so this is kind of interesting as you describe this, because this really goes back to the idea of the part of conscious capitalism, this whole idea of the stakeholder versus the shareholder model. So some people think, okay, it's not it's all about profits. So we got to do some other things and let's honor the stakeholders at some level. But there's also this idea that we, I still have to have all these trade-offs with my stakeholders. If if we make it this, uh, some on the other end, someone has to give up something. But what you're describing is the true model where if we honor all stakeholders in the right way, everyone comes out a winner. Kind of the idea that, you know, if we can move this forward enough, all of a sudden the cost gets worse. So, so the consumer's not taking a hit. And the bottom line, the business is still okay. So that really is a great example, guys, that when you really holistically look at something and look at all your stakeholders and the total impact, it all starts to work. But if you just pick off the one little thing, like, oh, we're going to do a little bit of this, a little bit, yeah, then that's a trade-off version. All right, guys, now we're going to get real. <laughs> it can't be all kumbaya, okay. yeah. right? Right. So what's, where, where's the challenges? What's, what's, what's been, because, you know, you got people saying, oh, that sounds great, and they're a big, large company. They can afford to do all those kinds of good stuff. So what are some of the challenges that you guys have run into that's the reality of life, and, you know, what did you have to do to overcome them? 
No challenges at interface, <laughs> eh? Like, the guys are looking coming. at each other going, we, what, us challenges? No, there's <laughs> we manufacture rainbows, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, uh, maybe, maybe it wasn't during your watch 20 years ago. These right. guys had this challenge, right? Well, I mean, the, the first challenge I'll talk about, it was a cultural challenge. People did not understand why a company like ours ever would get into sustainability. The film really covers that nicely and interviews a lot of the people who were around back then. But that is the first challenge for sustainability is if you can figure out how to get it into your culture in a way that makes sense, that's where all the other value comes from. But that is challenging. That is some, you know, ninja level leadership, even if you're the CEO. And often when you're leading sustainability, you're not the CEO. You're trying to influence from somewhere else in the company. We had and people say, oh, you had the advantage. The founder and CEO got it. He still had a lot of convincing to do to have people. People thought it was the corporate flavor of the month. They're like, anyway, oh, you're a publicly traded company too, yeah. right? So, oh, and the investors definitely didn't get it in the nineties. <laughs> we sure had people dump our shares after they heard Ray talk about sustainability because they no CEO who wasn't like either mentally or physically ill would ever talk about that to share to shareholders. So, um, much more friendly environment today in terms of the investment community. You have everybody's talking about ESG. This now we have to figure out how do we make that substantial. Uh, have that be less about just sort of covering your butt risk management uh, and more about solving the world's biggest problems. Uh, and that's what, you know, we want We want people talking about environment, social, and governance, this ESG things, but in really more substantial ways, not just do you have a glossy report or, or a cool website. Um, I think the challenges are just, it's the real world challenges. We live as part of the economy. Um, you know, we've had to go into product categories we never thought we'd go into. We, we make resilient flooring now. We make luxury vinyl tiles. We have a whole bunch of other supply chains to figure out how to make a great product, you know, at a price point and make them wildly more sustainable. You know, we've taken carpet tile a long way, and now we are in a couple other new categories, and we have to figure out how to transform those. Um, and also in, in the face of, like, just huge economic crazy headwinds right now, the, the, just the price of container freight alone is really a huge business challenge right now. Um, Matt is feeling that every day. <laughs> so from your side of the world, Matt, what's, what's, what's the big challenge? What's going on for you? Well, I think um, working for Interface, uh, it, there's such a, a pioneer and leader in what they do. There's two models. There's, there's, there's the model is let's be a leader and just – be ahead of our time and create new things and change technologies. And, and that's, that's great because it resonates to me. But the easier model is as a competitor or company to say, Hey, we don't want to be number one. We want to be number two. We want number one to invest the capital marketing, have their sales force go to the street, change the culture of the customers, the purchasers, the influencers. And then once that old, the dust settles, and we see traction moving, we want to be number two. We want to sneak in right behind that, maybe tweak the product just a little bit, maybe make it a little easier to get, and that's where we want to be. This the company fast follower. Yes. Right, there you go. And we have a lot of those in our industry. This company is not that. This company is always do blazing its own trail. And being tied on, on the front lines to that can be somewhat challenging on some of the ideas and 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 so ahead of their time where you kind of have to invest a few years to change the mindset, especially in certain geographic areas of the country. Where I live, Southern California, more specifically San Diego, we're very open and very educated on sustainability, client, the, 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 the effects of climate change. And so our mission is, is 
resonates well here. But there's other areas of the country where it's it's a little more difficult. Um, but that's that's one of the challenges working for just a trailblazing type of company. They're always wanting to do something new, push the envelope, whether it's product design, uh, uh, mission, climate control, uh, it, recycled content. I mean, it's it's it it changes the, it changes everywhere. So. Um, it does help being, uh, you know, resonate with that and believing and being passionate about that. I'll, I'll, I'll gladly go to the, you know, I'll gladly. You're go all in. The, I'm all in. So, um, but that can be a challenge. Well, I love the, the what you're saying, though, in regards to when if you're going to be out front, right? And that's what you're saying. You yeah. know, it's easier to follow along. And now that the the marketplace is all receptive to, yeah, we can whip up one of these and <laughs> figure out how to do a little cheaper than you or whatever. But I thought it was interesting how you're describing that, you know, internally we had this whole cultural thing. We have investors. We have like, it's the same thing as the customer, right? I mean, you're facing where we're trying to change the mindsets of people because people, I mean, they're, they're making decisions with their pocketbook, right? So we're looking for customers to be conscious customers to understand what's going on. And so you have to be an educator in that space. Right. And uh. we've done, even during the pandemic, we've developed some formats, some sort of uh, group webinar formats. We do, we call them carbon love and learns. We're trying to teach people how to love carbon because ultimately in a climate change context, carbon is the, the enemy because we're wasting it by putting in the atmosphere where it's absorbing heat. Um, we actually need to learn how to be more like a tree. We need to learn how to love carbon. We need to learn how to build with carbon rather than putting it in the atmosphere. And so that's kind of what we've been doing as we move toward having carbon negative products. These are products that store this carbon in our products rather than in the atmosphere. Um, but customers don't know what that means. <laughs> but so we've invested a huge amount in, in doing just really, you know, good education and giving them the tools, stuff that has no relation to flooring, but how do you keep score on carbon if you're a person that designs buildings or that, you know, manages buildings uh, we said so we put together these cohorts of people to come together and learn the tools and learn you know what's new. We talk a little bit about what we did, but it really as a a way to give them you know some tools for how to influence other manufacturers. You can't build a you can't you know build a carbon negative building with just carbon negative flooring. You got to get everyone else on board. We got to figure out cement. We got to figure out steel. We got to figure out ceiling tiles and walls and all this other stuff. So we're trying to to equip our customers not only with the ability to pick better flooring, which obviously is nice, but to pick better everything and even over the longer term to push manufacturers to invest in better technology to where we can get to the point where you can make, you know, sheetrock or one of these fundamental building blocks in a way that we're storing carbon in the sheetrock rather than running it through a giant fossil fuel powered oven and baking the heck out of it. And by the way, baking the heck out of the planet. Not to pick on sheetrock because it's not, you know, <laughs> uh, but it's just, it's an example of an everyday thing that you don't think about the negative impact of it. Um, but what if it had a positive impact? This thing we sort of hang up on the walls everywhere. Um, if you start to put together the, these pieces of the puzzle and we've, we've collaborated time we have a group called, you know, Materials Carbon Action Network, which is mostly other manufacturers who have committed to going on this path with us. So we found people who make all these other building products, which go into the same buildings the flooring does, but to get, they've all set science-based targets for climate. Uh, we're all doing education programs for our customers on how to account for the carbon it took to make all the stuff that's in your building. It's not emitting carbon in your building. We emitted that in our supply chain a long time ago before you even put it in your building. 
but if you're not keeping score on those emissions we already emitted in our supply chain, we have no incentive to change that. We have no incentive to go and invest in technologies that capture carbon from the atmosphere rather than emitting carbon into the atmosphere, which is the status quo. Um, so we're trying to teach our customers not only to pick better products, but how to be change agents. Right, right. I, well, I love that. I mean, that, that's part of the journey now, right? So it all started with, what are we going to do? And then you start to realize, okay, we're only a small piece of the pie here. So now, given all your expertise and knowledge and the goals and the purpose of your business, you start to say, all right, how do we expand this into other areas? Well, I'm going to say, uh, once again, uh, on May 25th, we have a, a movie to watch this journey, you know, how it all started and where they've gotten to today. And uh, it's just a great story. So we got to bring this to an end here, boys. So, Matt, what's what's the big idea you'd like to share? Like, what one big thought you would like people to walk away with based on this podcast? And I'll ask Mikhail the same question. Sure, I, I just I think um, you know interface. We 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 invented the carpet tile, but we're we're so much more than that. We're we're uh, you know there's so much that's going on with this company um it's it's contagious it's it's um it's really easy to get around uh the movie does a fantastic job of explaining uh some of these really today extremely relevant concepts that were way ahead of its time by a leader who was way ahead of his time Ray Anderson and uh, uh there's many books out there as well he the last uh 10 years um, of his life, he really kind of uh, was was on the speaking uh, uh, arena and uh, doing large presentations. And high, the UC system got around that, and, and there was some uh, required reading about Ray Anderson and some of the environmental engineering degrees and programs within the UCs. Um, but 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 my takeaway is is um, you know it's 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 a great mission. Um, it's so much more than just carpet or flooring. Uh, and, and really, I, I get inspired when I see a lot of companies that I use. I love the outdoors. I'm a huge ocean person. Um, I love surfing. And uh, when you see the CEO of Patagonia uh, publicly state that Ray Anderson was, was one of the main inspiration for him and some of these large, very sustainable companies such as Unilever, give thanks and, and just say, you know, Ray was kind of the grandfather of sustain, corporate sustainability. And these other companies have taken notice and really trying to reimage their company and replicate their company similar to, to Interface means a lot. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Part of, great to be part of the story, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Mikhail, big idea. I'm, I'm hoping that more companies get this idea. And you have people all the way up to the you know, CEO of BlackRock talking about purpose-based businesses. Um, and that really raised gift to to every interface employee, but it's really his gift to business, um, and it's not the only purposed or you know meaning driven business, is to add meaning to business, to give every single person, no matter what you do, no matter what function, you could be marketing, you could be sales, you could be sweeping the floor, you could be making the products, uh, you know, you could be you know, you know, doing accounting, whatever it is. If your company has a purpose and a mission and something they're up to in the world, you're part of that. If you're making that company successful, and so when that company grows, maybe something really good in the world grows too, and that changes the nature of what it is to go to work every day. And that, to me, is is the promise, and the larger promise of Interface and, and of Ray Anderson is the message that 
you know, he, he liked to say, you know, I'd like those who think that business exists to make a profit, I'd like you to think again. You know, businesses make a profit to exist. Surely there must be some bigger, nobler purpose of business. And so that is the challenge to business today is find what is your bigger, nobler purpose. Uh, and then people will want to work for you. Uh, people will find meaning in doing whatever it is in your business if you can, with integrity, tie it to some bigger purpose that is what your company is about that is bigger than just growing our bottom line. That is an awesome message. And we have a long ways to go because uh, the stats from Gallup, and they've been pretty consistent for like the last 20 years, it's something like 70 plus percent of the population does not find meaning in work. And that's just sad. And I'm going to say these two guys are on fire. So I'm assuming <laughs> the other 4,000 employees are on fire as well. So again, um, I just want to remind everybody, um, I want to share that we're premiering the documentary Beyond Zero on the evening of May 25th. The event's going to be held at the beautiful Costera on Harbor Island. Can't go wrong there. Beautiful place. And and there's more. Uh, the producers and directors of Beyond Zero have offered a special opportunity to San Diego. Business contributions and funding from the event will officially launch the San Diego Education Plan. They will make Beyond Zero available free of charge to all the colleges and universities in San Diego County with unlimited access to the film and to accompany educational resources and tools. So not only will you be inspired by attending the event on May 25th, you'll have a chance to inspire our next generation of leaders. Matt, Mikkel, I want to thank you for taking the time to come to the show today and sharing your experiences, insights, and the compelling story of Interface, which continues to be written today. That's our show for today. And if you enjoyed it, please subscribe and share the podcast with a friend. That's the best way to help us to continue to get the word out to help conscious capitalism movement here in our very own community of San Diego. I'm Jeff Blanton saying, in the meantime, go do what you do. Go do what you do best, for we're all counting on you.